Hey there, I'm Amanda Soler, founder of SoulfulLiving.com and creator and host of this podcast, Soulful Connections. This podcast offers a way to connect the dots between the lives we're living and the lives we want to live. You'll get to meet or get to know better people in our community who are willing to share what makes their lives meaningful, what brings them joy, and even how they've overcome obstacles that have been thrown their way. So find a cozy spot or keep driving and doing what you're doing, and let's connect. Connection. So often I open my podcast and I give a tiny little blurb about the person with whom I'm speaking and I will do that, but I will say today's guest makes it harder than any other guest that I've had to give a tiny little blurb. And it is because I think it's impossible for one person to do everything that she does and has done. I'm just going to say a few things. Okay. Thank you. So you are an interfaith minister, psychotherapist, social worker, published book author, journalist, um, publication producer, hug mobster. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Got it. Okay. Yeah. Speaker. So, um, you know, what did I get wrong, Edie? It's today my Nothing. guest is Edie Weinstein. And tell me what I got wrong or what is Nothing. the thing I No, it was, it was fine. The only thing that was missing, and of course, you, you know, um, I do PR and marketing too, but everything right. else, you nailed it. It's good. Oh, okay, great. Thank you. Great. Yeah. Um, so I have to say, I was kind of going through what you do and I was thinking about the... Um, even hugging strangers, which I have to say is so alien to me. I barely, you know, hug you if I've known you less than 10 years. It's like a strange, (laughs) strange part of my character. So I thought, wow, she's so brave and compassionate. And it feels as though everything that you do is spreading love. It feels (laughs) like, it feels like it's, that's the goal ultimately of all of these many things. And I just, I'm wondering, you know, where does that come from, Edie? Is that something that was a childhood desire? Did you say, you know, when I grow up, I'm just going to be doing something that spreads joy and light and love. Can you help me to understand that? Absolutely. I grew up in a home with two parents and a grandmother and then uh, a younger sister, two and a half years after I was born where nobody left the house without a hug or an I love you. And nobody came into the house without a hug or an I love you. And when we would talk on the phone, as I got older, same thing, you know, there was always an I love you. And I just thought that's how everybody's family was. Um, It came to find out, obviously, that that's not true. Uh, My parents were also very active volunteers in their community. They volunteered, my mom volunteered in the hospital. My dad was a volunteer firefighter. They volunteered in their synagogue. 
Um, they, what else? Um, they, my father worked with a, a girl in the neighborhood who either had muscular dystrophy or MS, and he did what was called patterning, which I guess is, is equivalent to physical therapy. So he would go to her house every week. And I remember one time going with her, with him um, and watching this like, astounded. Um, I don't know how he got the training for it, but somehow he did. <laughs> maybe maybe as a firefighter, I'm, I'm not sure. So they modeled that for me and it, it became, it was natural. It wasn't anything I had to work at. So that's, that's the origin. Yeah. Yeah. And then did you start out? Um, did you start out in like social work or psychotherapy or is that kind mm -hmm. of where your professional journey began? Mm -hmm. Well, when I, I went to college, I went to what was then called Glassboro State College, now Rowan University, which I can't begin, you know, I can't wrap my mind around that. I still call it Glassboro. Um, I earned a, a bachelor's degree in psychology. And while I was there, while I was, while I was going to school, I initially volunteered and then got a paying job working at a crisis intervention center called Together Incorporated. And I worked on a 24-hour crisis hotline. I worked in a youth shelter. We had a runaway and homeless youth shelter. We had a rape crisis program. So that was my kind of boots on the ground cutting my teeth on, on therapy training as somebody who was still in college at the time. And after I graduated, there was a two-year gap between going to college and going to grad school. And in that time period, I had a gazillion different jobs. I waited tables. I was a massage practitioner. I was an artist model. Uh, I was a practice patient at Hahnemann Hospital. And I thought, even though they're not counseling jobs per se, they were preparing me because when you wait tables, you got to be a good listener. You know, you need to be able to engage with people. So that was one of one of my um, skills that I, you know, that I had to um, cultivate while I was there. And then I decided to go back to graduate school and I went to Rutgers in Camden and I earned my MSW, which is Masters of Social Work, but I call it Master of Saving the World uh, because I, I thought that I had to do that. That was my job. You know, and I became what I, I would call good little codependent, practicing savior behavior, kissing all the boo-boos, making them better, trying to help people overcome their traumas and tragedies, because I thought I was pretty darn lucky with the life I had. The only traumatic experience that I can remember in childhood is that my grandmother died when I was four, and losing her was like losing a third parent. So... I wanted to make sure that I wasn't a burden on my parents. I wanted to make sure that I was an easy kid, despite the fact that I had asthma. Um, after, I, after my grandmother died, I was diagnosed with asthma. And people whose work has to do with metaphysical causes or metaphorical causes for health conditions would say that asthma and lung conditions are about repressed grief. So, Part of my work as a therapist is working with people with trauma who have a lot of repressed grief. So that's where that came from. Yeah. Wow. Were you an only child? No, I'm a younger sister. Okay. Um, yeah, she's two and a half years younger. And um, her life and her choices were very different from mine. So um, we're still, you know, we're both in our 60s and we have different memories of our childhood you know, of right. course, as a lot of siblings do I say that we, we grew up in you know in a different family together so yeah. 
That's a great sentence. That is a great explanation for all families, I think. I think everybody grows up in a different family together. Right. Um, I listened to your podcast with Dr. Yvonne Kay, and you talked about going to, was it Reading Terminal where you did the hug mob? Oh, the free hugs. Okay. Yes. Um, Valentine's Day weekend, 2014, I brought a group of friends to 30th Street Station in Philadelphia for a free hugs flash mob. And the purpose of that was so that people could understand that Valentine's Day is not just one day out of the year, it's every day. And it's not just about romantic love, it's about all the various forms of love. And hugging had been, well, you're, you're familiar with the five love languages? Are you, you know, have you heard of uh, yeah, that, that book? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, touch is, is my primary love language. And that's oh. the way I receive it and that's the way I offer it. So there were about a dozen of us there and within an hour's time, I estimate we hugged about 12, 200 people between the, wow. you know, the dozen of us. And the one person who stands out most clearly in my mind and my heart was an Iraq war vet who approached us. And he said he was the only survivor of his platoon and he had survivor's guilt. And he said, I thought about killing myself until I met you people. You know, you gave me hope. Can I join you? So of course we gave him his own free wow. hug sign and he was off to the races hugging people. And that's when I had the revelation, hugs save lives. They don't just feel good, they do good. And several, um, five months later um, in June of 2014, I realized what a life-saving experience hugs were. On my way home from the gym, I had a heart attack. And as part of my cardiac rehab, I walked around Doylestown. Um, for those who are not local, it's a, a lovely town outside of, you know, about an hour outside of Philadelphia. And I thought, why don't I combine the hugging with the walking? Friends started calling us hug mobsters, you know, flash mob, hug mob. And I thought, ooh, mobsters, guns, drugs, violence. I don't think so. So I added the tagline armed with love. And um, one of our um, original hug mobsters, his name is Greg Campisi. Um, also a local person who you may want to interview, um, created the logo, which was a little heart with hands. And then another local person, um, Shannon Milnazik, um, she created these signs for me. And another local person, Kimberly Cambra from CB Cares, commissioned her, it was a birthday present for me because she saw I had this raggedy old sign that I had made, you know. So I have two of these big um, posters that say hug mobsters armed with love with a little heart and hands on them. So I've become um, kind of a, a semi-celebrity in town. People yeah. see me, say, oh, you're the hug lady, even if I don't have this time. <laughs> um, so I estimate that since 2014, I've hugged thousands of people all across the United States, in Canada. And then in 2018, um, I hugged my way across Ireland. That was my, wow. my true lifetime experience. So Edie, are you ever afraid? Do you feel nervous? Do you feel like somebody, no, no you just, no, and how no, 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 no. And in all the time that I've done it, I've never gotten sick. Um, now I've been during the pandemic, I've had to put it on hold. Um, I do virtual hugs sometimes where somebody will stand opposite me and I'll hug myself and they'll hug themselves and I'll, I'll have them member. I mean, you, you want to try it? Sure. <laughs> okay. You hug yourself and I'm hugging myself. We're hugging ourselves. Hugging you, yeah. Right. And I'd like you to think about the last hug that you had with somebody that you haven't hugged since, you know, perhaps during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You really wish you could hug. Mm -hmm. 
and just feel that. And then the second part is think about the next person that you're going to hug when you know when you can, when it feels safer to travel, when it feels safer to, to hug heart to heart. And for people who are listening, I invite you to do the same thing. Hmm. How's that feel? Beautiful. That really yeah. does. Yeah. yeah. It makes me understand it. Really. It really does. It really mm -hmm. does. Right. Um, but the whole thing about hugging strangers, you asked about that. Yes. Um, I've never been shy, but it's not just like kamikaze, you know, swoop yes. hugs. When I approach somebody, if they don't approach me first, I'll say, would you like a hug? And if they say yes, then I hug them. If they say no, I'll say, you know, thank you for taking care of yourself. Hug somebody, whether it's yourself or somebody in your family. Or if there are two people that are together, I'll say, you know, if you're willing to hug that person. And I, you know, I've hugged dogs. I've hugged, when I was in Ireland, um, I had a dog follow me um, as I was walking and wouldn't leave me alone. And I said, you better go back home. Your person's gonna miss you. Eventually, you know, I had to leave, leave where I was. So I'm hoping the dog got home, um, but I hugged the dog, you know. Mm. Um, one of the first mammals that I hugged when, you know, I was out of, um, I wouldn't say quarantine, but out of lockdown was my cousin Jody's dog, Maddie, who's a um, um, chocolate lab. And you know how most big dogs think they're lap dogs. Yes. I was thrilled to have Maddie jump into my lap. <laughs> you know? Yes. And that, because for 11 weeks, I did not hug wow. another being, yeah. except for trees. I hug trees, but another mammal, you know? Yeah. Um, so what it, what it does when you hug strangers, for me at least, is recognizing our common humanity. Um, when I hug people, I don't know who they voted for. I don't know what their yeah. politics are unless they tell me. I don't know what their religion is, their culture, their you know their um, gender identity, their sexual orientation. You know, again, unless I'm if I'm at a pride event, I might have a better idea of those two things. But I just hug people just because, and. Um, there's a hormone that's excreted when people hug um, called oxytocin. And it's known as the cuddle hormone or um, when mothers nurse their babies, that happens. So what I say about that is that um, the more oxytocin, the less oxycontin uh, because it's a pain reliever as well. Yes, makes sense. I love that. I actually love that recognition of our common humanity. I never thought about that. And I really, really admire that, especially in such a divided climate. I mean, we are in a hugely divided climate, but I do think back and I think there have been many times when we've been in a, in a climate that is super, super divided. And I think that that's a beautiful thing mm -hmm. to recognize that we are all humans. We're here together and we should love each other. Absolutely. Um, so right now, I know we're still in a pandemic. It isn't as dramatic as it has been. Um, what kinds of things are you working on? What kinds of things are you doing? Well, in terms of the free hug stuff, the free hugs um, mission, passion, whatever you want to call it, um, I sometimes go out. I mean, I'm, I'm vaccinated, boosted. I wear a mask when I'm out in public and I have hugged people, you know, 
occasionally, you know, occasionally. Um, so that's something I'm looking forward to doing more of this summer. Um, I've been invited to, to do um, hugs at the various pride events that are happening. You know, the one in Doylestown, there's one in Percocet, there's one in Abington, that's the Bucksmont event. So when I go to events like that or this, the um, arts festival in Doylestown, lots of hugging going on there. But again, I respect people's boundaries, uh, whether or not they, you know, they want to hug, even sure. in the before times where people that said no. Um, sure. and, and I would you know, I'd acknowledge that, that it has to be by consent, you know, yeah. by mutual consent. Yes. And, you know, also I was looking and I didn't realize, I always picked up that publication Visions. Mm -hmm. I didn't that know that mine. that was you. Yeah, yeah. My husband and I created it in 1988 and wow. we published it for 10 years and he died in 98. So we sold it oh, I'm so sorry. a few months, you know, that, thank you, a few months before he died. But it was where I cut my teeth on journalism. I don't have a degree or background in journalism, but writing is my passion. I could do it all day, you know, all day long. Um, I'm a communicator. So since then I've become a freelance journalist and I write for Huffington Post, Good Men Project, Elephant Journal, um, The Wisdom Daily, um, Best Life. I've written for the Huffington, did I say Huffington Post? Yeah. Um, um, what else? Um, you know, any anybody who will, will bring me on board pretty much. You know? oh, that's great. Um, yeah. Yeah, BeliefNet. That's the other one I was trying to think of. BeliefNet. Oh, right. I've written for Psych Central and what else? The Temper, which is about addiction and recovery. And I love it. It's, again, my passion. It's one of the things I was born to do. So you inspire so many people. You, um, who inspires you? Well, um, the people that initially inspired me were my parents. Um, they, you had asked, you know, and in the conversation that we had the, uh, via email um, about my favorite quotes. Um, yes. I call them momisms and dad wisdom. And what my mother would always tell me is walk in like you own the joint with your head held high, shoulders back, making eye contact. And my father would say they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you do. And what both of those things did was gave me the foundation for not feeling too terribly intimidated in just about any conversation that I have, learning to speak my mind, learning that what I have to say matters. And I share that often with my clients. Uh, if they're lacking in confidence, I'll say, all right, I'm channeling my mother and father and I'm, I'm giving you this, this guidance. So they inspired me. Um, their parents both died at a pretty early age. My mother's father, my, my maternal grandfather died when my mom was 18. And then her mother died when she was like in her middle thirties. That was, you know, the grandmother died when I was four. My father's father, my paternal grandfather died um, right after they got married, like in the, in the two hour, two hours, excuse me, the two year period between the time my parents got married and I was born, my grandfather died. So my dad was in his thirties when he, when he lost oh, his father. And then my grandmother, his mother died when I was 13 or 14. So wow. they, you know, yeah. they lost their parents pretty early on and they taught me about resilience. That, I mean, that's one of the things I credit them for is that I can bounce back from anything. And I, you know, so yeah. they inspire me. Um, 
people that are trauma survivors that keep on keeping on. I have no idea how some of them do it. You know, people who have lost children, people who, have, I mean, I've lost, I mean, as I mentioned, my husband died, my parents have died, I've lost friends, but you know, I'm just in awe of people who keep on going when, you know, when their children have passed, regardless of the age of the child or the age of the parent. So yeah. they inspire me. And um, I have a, a dear friend, uh, Yvonne Kay, who you know, you're going to be hopefully be interviewing as well. She inspires me. Um, she's 88 years old and she's a survivor of the Blitzkrieg in London. Um, she was a child evacuee taken to the countryside, but she was still there during the bombing. So um, she is what I call living history. She talks about all of that. And it's so um, vital to, to remember that as we're going through, as we're, you're talking, we're talking now, the bombing is going on in Ukraine. And right. imagine that, I mean, that was Yvonne, except hers was in London. And she despite all of that, or maybe because of all that, she became a resilient thriver and she still inspires me. And, and I, when I talk about her, I say, how many 88 year olds do you know that have multiple tattoos that she got in the last six years since her husband died? And she loves the music of Bob Marley, David Bowie, and Freddie Mercury. Um, she's just extraordinary. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you're going to have fun talking to her. I um, am. She, yeah. She's my, like my mama figure. Um, you know, she, she knew my parents, um, but she's taken on that role for me now is, you know, as another mother. So nice. I appreciate that. And, you know, it's so interesting. Your parents, it must've been an interesting childhood and your parents are great because, you know, it's not, we spend so much, we collective, we trying to homogenize and say, you know, whatever the prevailing wisdom is. And it feels to me like you have just said what is in your heart or what you think or what you believe. That's not always the way. And I think it does take courage to say something or to even to have a hug mob, you know, to, to write some of the things you write. I think that that is really important. And I think it does require a certain amount of courage. Yeah, I, I think about how many other people are far more, thank you for that, by the way, um, are far more courageous. Um, I, again, I lived in a safe, trauma-free, abuse-free, addiction-free home. A lot of people don't have that. Uh, my parents, my dad was a blue-collar worker, uh, but we always had, you know, my mom was a, what I call a pink-collar worker. She was a switchboard operator, but we always had food on the table, roof over our heads, um, we didn't go you know, on fancy vacations, but we took day trips and we, you know, um, we had a, a rel I had a relatively whatever normal is childhood. Um, I grew up in Willingboro, New Jersey, which was one of the original Levittown communities. And it was the kind of community where on a summer morning, I, my sister and I would ride our bikes. We'd go to the pool, we'd hang out there, come home for lunch, just all over the place. And that was obviously before cell phones. My parents didn't worry about where we were. Um, you know, and, and when it got dark, we came in for dinner. <laughs> that's yeah. it, you know? yes. that's it. And kids these days don't have that freedom and don't have that luxury. I wouldn't want to be a teenager now. It's so yeah. much more complicated than, than when we were kids. And yeah. you know, I, I wish that for them again. And um, yeah, it's, 
it's it's challenging to live in the world now. So I want to protect them. <laughs> you know, I want to protect all the, yeah. you know, the kids and can't. Yeah. No, it's true. I, I, I have three daughters, so I definitely look around the world and think it is different. And in some ways it's more challenging. And then in other ways, they're much more liberated. Um, so it is a, a really interesting time to be a teen. Um, and when you talk about clients, are these like coaching clients or are they psychotherapy clients? clients? Okay. Yeah. Psychotherapy clients. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what for you is a perfect day? <sighs> well, perfect day is, hmm, I, I haven't had one of these since the pandemic started, but in December of every year, we have our annual latka party, you know, potato latkes, potato pancakes. Yum. Um, for Hanukkah. And, and so we have a holiday party and people from all different parts of my life come to my house and it's potluck, it's music, it's drumming. Um, it's a lot of hugging. It's um, like people from what I call overlapping soul circles that may have heard about each other and finally get to meet. So that to me is a perfect, you know, perfect day. Um, and I'm praying fingers and toes crossed that this December I'll be able to do it again for the first time in in more than two years. So I hope you do. Um, yeah, yeah, me too. So if we have it, I will invite you. <laughs> Thank you. It's been yeah, wonderful. You're welcome. Um, okay, favorites. Favorite book or a book that has impacted you? Do you have one? Yeah, or several more? actually. <laughs> several. Um, Illusions by um, Richard Bach. Um, he's, he's the author of Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Um, Jitterbug Perfume by Tom Robbins. And um, Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. All of them have a psycho-spiritual bent to them. All of them are about empowerment. They're about love. Um, they're about um, seeing beyond our five senses, um, seeing beyond the limitations that we place on ourselves or we allow the world to place on us. So they're, they're my, you know, three of my favorite books. Oh, Stranger in a Strange Land by Robert Heinlein. Um, I mean, I, there are a gazillion books. I, you know, yeah. when I, you know, I have more books than any other type of object in my house. Is that right? <laughs> so, I can relate. <laughs> what about a favorite movie? Do you have a favorite movie? Yeah. Well, you would ask about Netflix. So first, but yes. I'll, I'll tell you other favorite movies. Um, if you haven't seen it, Atypical. Um, it's a, oh, a series yeah. actually. A lot of people have told me yeah. this and I haven't yeah. seen it. Yeah. What it's about is um, a family where, the, there are two children, boy and a girl, and the, the young man is high school student, and he's on the autism spectrum, and he's brilliant, um, but his social skills a little little challenged, and he's focused on penguins, yeah, and penguins in in Antarctica, and he could tell you everything, every fact about penguins. And it's about how the family and this young man navigate the waters and not always easy, not always, you know, not always fun, but ultimately rewarding. You know, I cried my way through some of it. So that's wow. good. Um, my favorite TV show is This Is Us. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but. Um, I have, I only watch like two. I, I'm a terrible person because I, in terms of like watching series, I, we actually did a podcast, a friend of mine and I, because we will start the series together. And then I, I just, I stop. I only have a few limited things that I 
continue with. Mm -hmm. So I saw like two of the This Is Us's, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I didn't see them. But I do know that people do love it. You can catch up, you know, we're, yeah. this is the last season. But again, what I like about that is the character development. And I yeah. swear, I'm sure that they have a therapist or a psychiatrist in the writer's room because it's about oh, relationships and about addiction yes. and loss and, you know, every aspect of the, the human existence. So it's every Tuesday night at nine o'clock um, on NBC. Yeah, NBC. Um, Probably one day you, can, you know you can binge you can binge that, uh, yeah um, yeah so my favorite one of my favorite movies um uh steel magnolias and uh, oh, oh, oh just went right out of my brain I, that's the other challenge that i that i've been having are my middle age moments or my now my i'm 63 so they're probably senior moments now <laughs> um oh harold and maude that's a, oh, a cult classic. Have you ever seen yes. that? No, I've seen Steve, Steel Magnolias, but I've heard because Harold and Maude is kind of one of those movies that everybody references. Right. You know? It's a cult classic. Yeah. Um, so that, yes. you know, that one, um, um, Fried Green Tomatoes. Yeah. That's it, you know, kind of a chick yep. flick movie, but I, you know, but I like, I like that as well. And, you know, those are movies that I watch over and over again and I never get tired of it. Because there's always there like a nuance. thread that's similar. Is there yeah. something similar? Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, they're about relationships. That's yeah. you know that's what my yeah. my life is about is relationships. Yeah. Um, when I had a radio show several years ago, about nine years ago, it was called "It's All About Relationships." So yes, they come in you know in all you know all different forms and packages. So what about um, I reference that everything seems to be in in support of. Of, of spreading love, but do you kind of go through life with a purpose or a mission or something that's overarching that you think back upon or fuels yeah. you? Yeah, two things. One is resilience. And when I think about resilience, it's about being able to bounce back from life challenges. And the other is connection that it's, you know, because people are so disconnected by, all of the um, the differences that we create or that society creates, we're, there's that's what's missing. And during the pandemic, I was so grateful. And I'm still grateful for this. You know, even yeah, though people say they're tired of Zoom calls or FaceTime, I am thrilled that we have that technology. Because even as much support as I have in my life, you know, as much love as I have in my life. If I wasn't able during those 11 weeks of total physical isolation from people, yes. if I didn't have this, I'd be a basket case. <laughs> I would be, you know, yeah. um, at the, what had happened that was even more difficult. My grandson was born um, in January of 2020. So he was our, our miracle. He was the best thing that happened that year. And I was helping take care of him early on. And then the pandemic, then in March, everything shut down. I did not see this child for 11 weeks. So every day um, I would send videos. I would, you know, do nursery rhymes, sing songs for him. And my daughter-in-law and my son would not every day, but they would send pictures and videos of, of him. And it wasn't until around Mother's Day that I could see him again. 
because again, I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> I worked from home. Yes. I did telehealth sessions with my clients. Yeah. And this is before vaccines. So it was a little, little riskier, yeah. but I'm with him every day now. I'm, I'm part oh, of that's great. I'm um, his other grandparents and his aunt and I do the, you know, do the baby caring shift. I don't even want to call it babysitting. He's my grandson. It's not babysitting, oh, that's uh, great. but I do the morning shift. And then one of them or both, some of them will take over so I can go home and go to work. And then my daughter-in-law comes home from her job as a teacher and then my son comes home from his his job as a manager in a business um, after that. So he's got a lot of family. Love it. And it, it's great. And then there's another baby in May. I'm real excited. Oh my about gosh, that. congratulations. So, thank you. So he's got to have a little sibling. Oh, that's so great. And that's so great for him because there is nothing like being surrounded by that whole, yep. you know, people who love you like that. Mm-hmm. Because right. that's what I had at his age. My grandmother, as I said, yes. lived with us. So she was one of my care, caregivers. There wasn't preschool or nursery school back then. Right. And I didn't start kindergarten until I was six. So I grew up in that same kind of environment. The only challenge is with kids his age, they don't get as much socialization as we did back, you know, right. because of the pandemic. He, you know, there are a few other, you know, he's got cousins and, um, He's got a neighbor child that he's been playing with, but it's limited for kids his age right now. Yes. Yeah. You know, I can't get vaccinated yet. And they're, you know, so everything I do is to help protect him, you know, to help keep him safe. That is really wonderful. Um, So what about a tricky question? What do people get wrong about you? Do you have any idea? Yeah. Oh yeah. That I'm happy all the time. Um, that I'm, you know, that I'm always smiling, that I'm never anxious. I never have any doubts. I never worry. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, my book is called the bliss mistress guide to transforming the ordinary to the extraordinary. And I say that even the bliss mistress gets the blues. I love so, it. So, yeah. So I think that's, that's one thing that people misinterpret. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be human, I wouldn't think. And it right. would be hard to help other people to get over sad feelings if you had never felt them yourself. Right. Um, right. What about um, traits that you love in other people? What is a trait that you admire or like? Right. Um, well, people's ability to overcome, to get through things, to thrive in the face of abuse, trauma, life challenges, loss. So that's, that's one quality that I admire. Um, stick to itiveness. <laughs> know that, that even in the face of seeming defeat, they just keep on keeping on. Um, the ability to um, take good care of themselves. I don't, most of the people in my life who are caregivers need a crash course, including myself in exquisite self-care. Because if you feel like that's your purpose to be out there, take care of everybody, often you're going to neglect your own care. That's partly where the heart attack came from. Um, You know, I was genetically predisposed. My mom died of congestive heart failure. Um, I wasn't getting enough sleep. I was working five or six hours a night, or five or six, sleeping five or six hours a night, working 12 to 14 hour days, then going to the gym. Um, My blood pressure was through the roof. And a lot of it was about self-care lacking self-care. And when the heart attack happened, I had friends and family saying, you are not going back to work right away. You need to take time off. So for two weeks, I was lying on the couch, watching the ceiling fan spin 
and <laughs> it, it was hard. It was absolutely yeah. challenging. Yeah. So these days I have to remind myself. So I don't know anybody that I can think of that indulges in exquisite self-care. So I, I would like to meet somebody like that who'd be a good role model for it. That's, that's wonderful. Um, so what about, is there any trait you deplore in others? Oh yeah. <laughs> Hatred, bigotry, intentional um, injury to other people. Um, uh, you know, um, supporting people politically who have those traits. Um, people who don't really care about the welfare of other people. Those are qualities that, that I would say I deplore. What about like a pet peeve? It's just irritating. You don't okay. deplore it, but what, what just irritates you? Uh, oh boy. <laughs> well, I'm a grammar geek. So oh, people that, that use, um, what, what do they say? Like they'll say, me and him went to the store. Yes. Me didn't go to the store. Him didn't go to the store. He and <laughs> right. I went to the store. So right. that's my that's my grammar geek. And there, there are plenty of other things. But yeah. lately, in one. the midst of everything going on in the world, I've had to let that slide and say, yes. why do you care if people misspell, mispronounce, mis, yeah. you know, misuse grammar? They're, you know, that's not even a first, that's not even a problem. It's not even anything to be upset about. And they didn't ask you to be their editor. So right, right. <laughs> if I'm, somebody's sur I'm surrendering that. <laughs> yeah. If somebody's paying me to be their editor, then sure. then I'll say, you yeah. know what? This is how it's really spelled or pronounced, right. or right. this is the grammar thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, what about what delights you? What fills you with delight? <sighs> Being with kindred spirits. Um, watching my grandson. I mean, he is my I call him my little joy boy. He's not always joyful, you know, but yeah. watching him grow, watching him learn, you know, and I've, because I've been with him sometimes five or six days a week, I get to watch the prog, you know, the progress and the growth and he turned two in January. So that delights me. Uh, what else? What else? Um, nature. You know, I was out walking around Doylestown a little bit earlier today and it, I could feel spring kind of sneaking up on us, you know, that yeah. it'll be soon. And tomorrow it's supposed to be in the seventies. I heard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, that delights me. Um, animals, you know, watching, watching animals. I have a friend, Kim, who has two horses. So I like visiting them. And then um, another friend, Kate, who has an equine rescue um, farm in Bedminster. And I like visiting her and doing Reiki for her horses. So that's a, that's a delight. Writing. I mean, I, I can't imagine, uh, you know, other than the latka party that I was talking about, a more delightful day. That would be my second delightful day, spending the entire day writing some stuff that I love to write about. Oh, how nice. So what about the best advice that you've either given or received? Well, the best advice that I, you know, that I received is what my parents had said. My father, you know, about um, walking like you own the joint and they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you do. But my father had another um, Moishism, or his name was Moish, um, you know, dad wisdom. And he would say, your life is in the hands of any fool who makes you lose your temper. So I, I have learned- I like it. 
Yeah, but you know, it wasn't. It was good advice for what it was worth. But he would he would often say, "Ah, that burns me up," and he'd be guzzling Maalox. Right. You know, but I have to ask myself, is it worth getting worked up over? There's so many things in the world I could be. I mean, I that I do feel angry about. Right. And anger is a normal human emotion, but I don't want to sustain that level of intensity. So what I do is that I is that I turn anger into a tool and not a weapon. That if I'm angry about something, I'm going to write about it. I'm going to speak up about it. You know, I'm going to I'm going to spread the word. Um, so that's, that's a piece of advice that sticks with me and advice that I would offer people is be true to yourself, be, you know, learn to love the person in the mirror with all of your flaws, with all of your, da- what you might consider damage or trauma and take that person out into the world and treat yourself the way you would treat a beloved other. Because I know plenty of people that would never in a million years talk to other people the way they talk to themselves, the disparaging stuff they say to themselves. So I have to keep that in mind too, when I'm being harshly critical of myself. Uh, Like, you know, like all of us, we have an inner critic. I call mine perfectionista. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah. Where she looks down like over, over my my glasses and you should know better. You're a therapist. And there are sometimes that I don't, <laughs> I just don't sure. know better and I have to learn. And I've also been grateful for mentors, friends, people. If there's something that I don't know anything about, I go to the experts. You know, I have people that I go to if I don't know what to do about computers or if I don't know about certain conditions that, that any of my clients are dealing with. I'll go to my colleagues in my, you know, in my practice and say, I'm seeing somebody with this. Can you, you know, have you ever worked with somebody who's dealing with this issue? Um, I'm not afraid to ask for, for guidance for, you know, for those things. Yeah, that's important. Um, and then finally, if you could wave a magic wand, you have a magic wand and you can make others do something, you can make them read something, change something. What would you do? Well, I happen to have a couple of magic wands. Actually. That's great. So, <laughs> I, you know, they're all different. There's some that, that were created, you know, um, actually they've all been made by somebody. So if I could wave a magic wand, um, I would want people to treat others the way that they would like to be treated. You know, it's the golden rule. Um, to realize that we're all in this together, that what affects, it's sort of like the butterfly effect, what you and I do is going to affect somebody on the other side of the world, and that everything has consequences, that, you know, if, if I'm acting hatefully, or having hateful thoughts, it's going to affect the, I call them um, uh, the collective soup pot. So as angry as I am about what's been going on politically in this country. And as angry as I am about what's going on in Ukraine, I don't send hatred to any of the perpetrators of of those things. I wish healing for them. I wish a wake up call for them um, because we all breathe the same air. We all drink the same water and we all have children that we care about. You know, I do what I do in part for the next generation when I'm not here, when I'm not going to be here. Wonderful. Yeah. That's what I wish. I mean, if we didn't know how connected 
we were before the pandemic. I would think we certainly see it now because I do remember thinking, oh, well, this is in China. I felt bad for somebody in China, but I remember thinking that I felt unreachable. I had a moment I felt unreachable, which I'm embarrassed to admit, but it is the truth. And so, you know, I, I have since, of course, learned that it's just another sign of how connected we all are. Oh, absolutely. And we've gotten spoiled is the right word, but there hasn't been and hope there never will be a war. I mean, there have been horrible things that have happened to Native Americans, to people of color, to um you know, what happened at the Capitol, but we've never had an all out war from an external invader. It's all been internal. So that's part of what I write about as well. And, you know, I wish people would see that, that what I do, what we all do affects everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Edie, I thank you for taking the time to do this with me. I'm so thankful. I appreciate it. Um, I will add a link to your website in the podcast description. Optimistical, right? Opti, O-P-T-I hyphen mystical, M-Y-S-T-I-C-A-L.com. And where that came from is, I don't know how many years ago, it was either a dream or meditation, but the, the, this came through me. You're not just an optimist, you're an optimistic who sees the world through the eyes of possibility. So I encourage people to become optimistics themselves. Well, that is phenomenal. And that's a great way to end it. Thank you. Pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening. Giant thank you goes out to show advisor, Roseanne Griffiths, the talented musician, Bill Aronson, who wrote, produced, performed the Soulful Connections theme song. And a thank you goes out to Brad Sanders for creating the Soulful Connections logo. Love it. That's new this year. So much gratitude to these guys and to my friends and family who continue to listen and guide me. And once again, to you for listening. I would love to hear from you. Please shoot me an email at soulfullife at gmail.com. That's S-O-L-F-U-L. L-I-F-E at gmail.com.